You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast, apparently the very dark host edition. No, that's fine. I don't know why Valerie refuses to have any lights on, but it's a bad thing. Don't. It's because I like the dark. You're dark. Is it like your soul? Because that's not accurate what, at all. What, so. Even sound effects. <laughs> I feel like I'm in an evil lair. I think it helps with alcohol absorption. I think that's what it is. I'm just going to pretend all of that didn't <laughs> happen. Okay. So don't forget to like and subscribe. You're listening to us right now. So like and subscribe or you're viewing us. So subscribe because it terribly helps us, helps us terribly. I haven't even been drinking yet. This is bad. Um, you know, with algorithms and things like that. So people know that we're not just talking to ourselves, which, you know, we could be. Um, Don't forget, uh, if you want to be on the podcast or you have an author you'd like us to hunt down, um, email us at drinkingwithauthors at um, gmail.com and we would love to do that for you. Um, Our sponsor today is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Coupon code is DWA10. You can check them out. with all of that out of the way, my amazing co-host today, and I'm trying to give her a benefit of a doubt, but we'll see if she makes it through this podcast as per usual, is Valerie Willis. Thank you, Valerie, for being here. And our guest today is Dennis Robinson. Woo! 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 Thank you. Hey, Happy to be here. Excited to drink. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about drinks. So guess what I found, fans and friends? Oh. I found more of this tropical Angry Orchard hard fruit cider i'm a huge fan of this this is really good and it's not too sweet so it sparks joy for me valerie what drink do you have i have barefoot fruit scotto apple edition i found it at the target the other day and i said you know what that sounds really good and i'm drinking it in dust boot because <laughs> that that just feels right <laughs> i'm totally stealing this cup when i leave here <laughs> They probably won't even notice. She that, probably won't. She's got another one in there. <laughs> you are drinking wine out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're moving on from that. I just, there aren't even, I don't know how you. I don't have pickle jars. They are all in storage. <laughs> that's, that's usually my MO. Yeah. That's I, first of all, I love the fact that you stored your pickle jars. You weren't like when we moved to the new house, which is being built, we'll get new ones. You're oh. like, no, these are my precious. These are vintage, vintage pickle jars. <laughs> yeah, they hold okay. sentimental value. Yeah, and pickles. <laughs> Even though Mount Olive has not changed that glass in forever. <laughs> okay. Oh dear God, I'm moving on. Dennis, what are you drinking? Well, before I get to it, I have to ask you uh, something real quick. What hmm. exactly is the tropical? angry orchard flavor because i love angry orchard so okay the first so tropical it. is supposedly passion fruit apple and pineapple hmm. let me see if it has a list of ingredients let's see it says alcoholic beverage no it's got to say what's yeah. in it oh there it is under uh water cane sugar apple some words citric acid yeah no it's um pineapple hmm. passion fruit and um and hard cider that's one of the first ingredients by the way i don't know how that's an ingredient when it is a hard cider but whatever yeah so it tastes very um not sweet and very yummy i don't know it's pineapple yeah pineapple and passion fruit with notes it has notes of pineapple and passion fruit well so i typically drink uh like a college girl and typically anything that gets me closer to diabetes uh, i am happy with so but i just got off of two weeks of traveling so i figure i should probably not consume quite as many calories as i normally do so i went with a twisted tea light uh, okay so i have to ask what you think college girls drink because a lot of white claws and stuff don't have a lot of calories. So what college, well, what are the college girls drinking around? Well, here? so when I went to college, which was a long time ago, white claw didn't exist. So no. lots of fruity stuff like Seagram's, 
what is the one that'll kill you if you drink too much <laughs> because you don't even realize um it's really terrible it tastes like poison now um is that um southern four loco four loco oh, oh my god four oh. loco that's the <laughs> yeah so my boyfriend and his friends liked to i would should say liked college pull it back loved four loco that <laughs> stuff is the death like you get halfway through you're drunk and hung over at oh, the God, same yeah. time somehow magically yeah. like yeah yeah no well, i was like because if, if you're going modern college girl it's uh it's like white claws and those very low calorie drinks you know what's funny though but the redneck scene also like the guys are buying up the white claws just as much as the oh, college yeah. girls around here oh yeah the <laughs> um rednecks and your cooler are no longer consists of budweiser but white claws it's it's an interesting trend. Yeah. Oh no, I went I, I graduated like four I think it was 14 years ago. I forget. Yeah, 14. Let's go with 14. So it's been a little while. So a lot of that stuff didn't exist. But I do have a four loco story that's uh disgusting. So oh. Dragon Con, where we met, yeah, uh, we we do a show uh in front of people, which is unusual. They I don't know why they let us. We call it Blood Feud. It is basically family feud, but two D and D podcasts that go up against each other with D and D like knowledge, essentially. And my roommate, uh, showmate, uh, heterosexual life partner, as we call each other, um, he decided it'd be a really good idea for the loser to have to drink something terrible. So the first year he did this, he brought hemp for loco, which. I've had it before that incident, but he thought, let's make it worse. So he put it in a van all day, every day for three days, and then took it out. So it was hot hemp for loco, and it was oh, even worse. <laughs> he, he doesn't like anyone, does he? Like that's No, this, this year we had grappa, and last year it was, um, oh, I can't remember. It was really bad, too. Yeah, he's just trying to get progressively worse every year. Oh God, that's that's not good. That's not that's fun. Not good. No, not at all. Okay, so sidetracked epically, which I appreciate on this podcast. <laughs> Dennis, will you tell the fans that are watching or and or listening what you write? So I write graphic novels about the world's first werewolf. Okay. So it's a series of graphic novels. The first book came out this year. Uh, the second book, we were talking about a pre-show, just finished on Kickstarter yesterday. And those are the first two out of 15 books in the series. So there will be 15, but right now there's two. Do you have all 15 laid out? Yes. I know what happens on the last page of the last book. Wow. Okay. So because um, we're Scooby-Doing back in time. Um <laughs> Where did writing begin for you? Because you brought up D&D. So sure. obviously you, you're a nerd and you've been a nerd for a while because, you know, as D&D nerds, we can all, we all recognize each other. Sure. You know, we can, we can sense the, the tremors in the forest. <laughs> but um, where did your writing begin? With D&D. Uh, so in high school, I, I started playing D&D uh, one of the last couple of years of high school. And then I started getting into DMing. And with DMing, when I first got into it, I would write way too much. That's uh, Dungeon Master for anybody paying attention. There, the person oh. runs the game, just in case anybody's listening, going, "What the fuck did that man just say?" <laughs> Sorry, okay. I always no, forget that not, not everyone knows what a DM is. I know what it is, and I've realized I have to clarify these things because I have people that are non-nerds like that to okay. listen to our podcast. We love them, and they're like, "He said a bunch of things," and I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I'm sorry." <laughs> and my <laughs> internet title. My internet title is actually world's most okayest DM because that's what my show calls me. So, oh wow, the most yeah. okayest. Yeah, that's actually could be um, considered a bad of badge of honor. I've played with some not okayest DMs, but anyway. yeah, me too, me too. But so I, I started out uh, with D and D, and then I had this idea for a comic book about the world's first werewolf back in 2009. Uh, there are some rolled up pieces of paper somewhere in my house that I wrote while I was at Disney World in 2009 uh, about this idea. And then I, I just shelved the idea because I, I said, you know, I'm never going to write a comic book. And then because I started podcasting 
uh, D&D, I went to Dragon Con, started hanging out with other nerds, and I just pitched the idea the one day, and everyone was like, you need to write this. And so about three and a half, four years later, the first book came out, so. Very, very cool. Have you um, always written, or is that was that something you only picked up after you started Dungeon Mastering? Uh, it's, it, it's pretty much just, uh, I picked it up after Dungeon Mastering, I would say. Um, and my writing style changed with D&D. So, so when I first started playing, I would write out everything. Like I would write out like 50 different scenarios if they went into a city, you know, just in case they went in any particular direction or did anything. Like I went way, way, way over the top. And then of course, they're only going to get to like one or two of them. So you, you just wrote 48 things for nothing. You can recycle them for later. But then with the people that I play with, they are a bunch of murder hobos who don't do anything that you would expect. So I stopped writing so much and I just met, went more with improv. So I just sort of roll with it. So like I give them a scenario. I have very loose bones for the story on the show. But then as they go through things, I just kind of roll with the punches and then react to whatever that they do, that kind of thing. Um, so the show still does like an overall story that I write, but I don't go nearly into the weeds as I used to. Um, and comics is a very, very different animal. Like I had to... When I first wrote the comic, I didn't know what I was doing. So I wrote this weird mutated book slash comic book script thing because I didn't know how to do it. And the I, I just gave it to some friends to be like, hey, can you look at this and give me some feedback in terms of, you know, what should I work on story-wise, you know, character, that sort of thing. Um, so that was a whole learning process, like even writing a comic book, like figuring out how to write it because it's very different. I think it's kind of like writing a, a screenplay for like a play where you have to say, you know, uh, a panel is described as, you know, okay, what time of day is it? Who's where in the panel? Where's the light source coming from? You know, where's the camera? You know, what's the angle? What's the emotions? You know, all this, you have to describe the entire scene in as much detail as possible. And then you lay yeah, out you your can storyboarding, huh? Because yes. that's what that is. That's yep. storyboarding. <laughs> So, okay, so you decide, what made you decide graphic novel versus, uh, or um, versus like actual novel? So when I had the idea in my head way back in the day, um, I pictured everything a, a particular way in my head. And I said, you know, one of the cool things about writing a regular book is that however you write it, the reader will then be able to imagine it their own way. Like it doesn't matter, you know, how you describe it or write it, your reader is going to imagine it in their head in a specific way. But I wanted people to see it sort of the way that I was imagining it. So I said comic book. Um, so because then I could get an artist to draw it the way that is in my brain and then you can experience it the way that I'm thinking about it. So that's that's so sort of why I went people to be in your brain. That's exactly. the entire thing. You were like, <laughs> I'm going to do a world domination thing where so. I am. Everybody has to come into my world. Well, I'm the and DM. Then, so, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> you yeah. must be terribly fun as a player being both a DM <laughs> and stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's interesting. So what was it like? Um, did you do a bunch of research before? I mean, we've only recently had a few people that do graphic novels, which I love. Like our our drinking with authors is expanding. We're having game creators and stuff because there's cool. all different kinds of authors of things. I think people sure. don't like realize or think about as authors, I guess I should say. And that's dumb. I mean, I think they go, well, they wrote it, but they don't go, oh, that's an author who thought yeah. of the story and did this whole thing, right? Um, but uh, what was this like? Because if you've never written a graphic novel, um, you didn't you didn't go to school for any of that kind of stuff, did you? No, no I, no, I went to school I... for psychology. Oh well, <laughs> which was a mistake. <laughs> a <DM. laughs> that has so many layers, my friend. Okay, like we should go through yes. next time we're at Dragon Con and we're drinking because that's layers <laughs> upon layers. That I love. Um, Sounds good to me. I was like, well, that, that, that will fuck with characters. Um, but <laughs> when you went to do this, how did you approach it? Because obviously I know you went to find an artist, which we'll talk about, sure. but how do you approach learning? Cause I've written screenplays, I've written plays, 
I haven't had to storyboard anything yet necessarily yet because I've written it for people who wanted it. And I just like kind of sure. descriptions, you're the director, knock yourself out. But a lot of friends have storyboard and that's a, that's a whole freaking thing. So how yeah. did you go about approaching this? So, well, as I had mentioned, I, I tried writing it in this weird amalgamation of screenplay slash comic book script slash book uh, just to get an idea. And I, I gave it to like, 10 friends so a lot of people have asked you know when they open up the comic it says executive producers and they're like what does that mean those are the people that read the original version of the book and gave me feedback so i said i'd give them mm. a special title of executive producer so anybody who helped like out it. from the very like beginning they got the special title um but some people think they like gave me a bunch of money or something like that i'm like no <laughs> They didn't give you much money. That's because producing in the real world means they gave you a bunch of money, just for the record. If anybody sees that title, executive producer, <laughs> and they go, oh, they produced this movie. No, what that means is they gave a bunch of money, and uh, depending on how narcissistic <laughs> they are, every decision had to be run by yeah. them because they gave the money. But yeah. moving on. So, um, so I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. So I always... Yeah tell people networking is the most important thing you can do. And that is definitely the case for my book. So through the podcast, we got a fan our first year. Her name's Shannon Tucker, and she is incredibly connected with the comic book community. She did a lot of charity work for Down There Luck, uh, old classic comic book writers and artists and things like that. So she's just sort of made friends with a bunch of people. So she just knows who to talk to to ask about stuff. And so she had gone to this uh, particular gentleman named Henri Compen and said, hey, would you be willing to, you know, have a chat with Dennis? He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he's looking for some guidance, that kind of thing. So Henri, you know, sat down with me. We talked through a couple of things. And then he actually put me in touch with his first editor. And he, he didn't even look at the book. He just, he said, hey, you know, here's my first editor. Get in touch with him. He'll be able to tell you everything you need to know. So I did that. I messaged the guy. He said, send me everything you have. So I did. He wrote back and said, nothing about your book is salvageable at all. Not the story, not the characters. Nothing is good about this. But you can pay me $1,800 and I will show you how to write a better story about something else. Uh, to which I said no. Oh, and my God. Yeah, yeah, I was I was about to give up on the the whole affair, and uh, luckily I've I've got a very supportive friend network, and that friend Shannon that I'd mentioned before, she was having drinks with a you know her normal um, sort of con crew, and Henri was there, and she loves the the book series, so she was just pitching it, and she, every time she tells anybody about it, she gets them super excited, and so Henri calls me up and he says, "Hey, I want to be part of the book, like." Send me the files you got. I'll be your editor. Like, let me see what you like. Let's see what he's talking about. My the his first editor. So he looked at it and he goes, "Okay, I get why he said it, but you don't know what you're doing. Like, you literally have zero experience. Like, I I can see what you're trying to do. You just need to figure out how to actually make it." So he gave me a a, a script template to work with, and then I put the weird mutant format into the script. Uh, format and then he and I sort of worked through he taught me okay this is how panels should work this is how panels on a page should work because you have to think about okay how many panels are you going to put on a page um, here's some rules with panels that you need to follow uh, how many captions per panel can you use what should go into a caption or not into a caption so there were a lot of things that I had to learn through the process so he literally sat down and he sort of taught me everything that I now know about writing um, comics so there was research, and he also gave me a few books. There were two books in particular that he gave me. One that was is, one of my questions. I yeah. think the I'm trying to remember the name of the first book. I think it's Constructing Comics, or um, something along those lines. It's all about like the fundamentals of comic creation. I forget exactly, but the second book was called um, Contract with God, which is um, it's like a book of short stories. It's a comic book but it's it's a little bit different format by will eisner who um he's like one of the big old names in comics and they even have like an eisner award that they give out to you know writers and artists and all this stuff um so i, I read that book and it gave me some ideas in terms of like oh 
a comic doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, five panels on a page. It can be one thing on a page and like your dialogue just has to be important to the story. You don't have to give all kinds of information. You don't have to have super flowery dialogue. It should fit with the characters and all this stuff. So he gave me those resources. I read through them like in a day or something like that. Like I was trying to absorb as much as I could look through a couple different script formats and then the rest of it was just him and I working together on like, okay, build the script. I built the script. He's like, okay, now you and I are going to go page by page and I'm going to tell you what works or doesn't work and why it doesn't work. And so we literally went through it that way um, all the way through the first book. And now as I move into the second, the third, I'm noticing it's a lot easier to write. And the editor that I now work with, um, she uh, really comments on the story like the way I tell stories but also how I describe characters and sort of build characters and that sort of thing and really the the, the biggest thing that I, I still need to work on is just dialogue like trying to put the dialogue in the words of the character as opposed to like how I would say it or how I would think it like a certain like characters say things differently they don't have necessarily the same sort of um, speech patterns, like they're not all going to have the same speech pattern. So it's one of those things that, it, you know, and as I write graphic novels, because it's 60, 90 pages, whatever it is, I notice that as I go through it, it gets easier and easier to do it. So usually like the first 20 pages, that's where like I'm a little rusty, haven't done it in a little while, try to get back into the flow of things. And then by 60, 70, 80, 90 pages, it's like, okay, there are fewer and fewer edits that I'm noticing from the editor coming in. So it seems like I get a little bit more into the to the zone or the element, that kind of thing. So that, that was sort of the whole process, the journey of figuring out how to write comics in the first place. So I love so many parts of your journey. One of the things that I like highlighting on the show is one, just because one person tells you that you need to change something or it's bad or whatever, mm -hmm. AKA one rejection, that doesn't mean you change everything. I just yeah. want to say that because it's, good that you had the support group but I think a lot of people can get upset by that because the nature of um, the industry unfortunately they haven't come to the fact that everybody's a human and you need to tell them like if there's something wrong you need to tell them or if it's not your thing you need to tell them and not every editor is going to be great for every person but the other thing you said that I think is very important is you found a mentor you know how you found the mentor is great but you found a mentor and that's what thing I think Anybody who's trying to endeavor into any artistic thing, it can help you to find a mentor who's been there, done that, and has the t-shirt and can give you resources to it. And I think a lot of people don't realize there are a lot of people out there that will help if you ask them to help. And you I think I mean? talk about building it. off of that, uh, and, and in your experience as a prime example, that a mentor can see your final game or your final image much mm -hmm. clearer than an editor who's looking at this and they're like, I can't do anything with this because yeah. they're looking at it as a job where your mentor is like, okay, you have a vision, but you don't know how to get from point A to point Z. Like yeah. there's all these parts in between. There's, there's a whole alphabet to travel and learn. Sure. Um, and it helps because a mentor can fill those gaps and push mm -hmm. you to the left or right, depending on your pros. Um, and it sounds like you had a, a great mentor who didn't try to cookie cut you into what they do for their own work, but guide you in the way that strengthens your vision and your aim. Um, yes and no. Yes and no. Oh, oh, share, share, share. So uh, my first editor and I, we butted heads a lot. So the, the way that I originally wrote my first book was about 60 pages, but he, he had said that, you know, we could tell your same story in 24 pages. And I said, there's no universe in which you could take 60 pages and smash it into 24 pages. It's just not possible. And so we would go back and forth on all the time because the standard comic book size is 24 pages. Graphic novels, that's where you get, you know, bigger books, 40, 50, 60, 70, 200 pages. Like you can have as many pages as you want as a graphic novel. And the formatting is different too, which is another thing that I learned later in the process. But um, he and I butted heads a lot creatively in terms of that, not on how things were written necessarily, but the actual overall sort of project. So he and I went back and forth and he said, look, um, 
I bet you I can take your 60-page book and make it a 24-page book. I said, okay, if you draw me up a layout, like just page one, this happens, page two, this happens, like just one sentence per page, and you go through 24 pages, and it makes sense, and it's good, and like you get enough character development, cool. We'll make the 60-page book a 24-page book. He did it, and you had characters that would literally appear and die on the same page. I said, there's no one's going to care about any of these characters because it's just rushing through the story way too fast. And he said, okay, your turn. You give me, now at that time, we were going to split the book in half because um, it was just too many pages for a first book. Like as somebody who's never done a comic before, he was saying, you know, it's going to be very expensive to do a 60 page book. Let's just go with a 24 page book. So I said, okay, let's split the book into two instead and have two at that time, I said 24-page books or something like that. So I, I did my layout, and I did two books, 24 and 24, and he said, okay, that actually works a lot better because the, the character development and things like that. He was very he was still very skeptical. He's like, well, we'll see how it goes. And so I wrote out the script, and 24 pages um, was that way for a little while till we got artists on board, and then the artist is like, you have too many panels per page. Like, you have to, you have to change things. You have to move stuff around. So I added another two pages. So 24 became 26. And then 26 became 28. And then 28 became 30. And then that was where I finally hit the, okay, it's it's fine the way it is that now, is 30 pages. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, well, the first book's 30. Is the, I was told it has to be consistent. So I was like, okay, the second half of the book will also be 30. So it ended up being 60 pages total. Um, but because of COVID, when the first book was supposed to come out, we were supposed to do a Kickstarter in 2020. But COVID happened. So we moved the Kickstarter to 2021. And by that time, the second half of the book was done. So I said, well, at this point, why not just shove the book back together and make it one big book? So the two 30-page books became one 60-page book again. So now, now we're in our new format where I'm, instead of chopping the books up into smaller books, it's like, okay, we're just going to stick with the, with the longer. But he and I went back and forth on a lot of things. Uh, for instance, uh, I, I have a buddy who reads comics and he always talks about how he loves the surprise to be when you open the page, like the first thing you see is the surprise. He hates when the surprise is on the right-hand page because it gives the game away and then you have all this lead up to the surprise. Whereas when you flip the page and boom, you're hit in the face with the surprise, that's cool. And that stuck with me. So I always tried to make the big surprises the left page. And my editor was like, no, <laughs> they should go on the right. It's an industry standard to put them on the right. And I literally would go and ask other people in the, in the industry, and they would say, that's not a thing. Like, you could put it wherever you want. Like, no one cares. <laughs> um, well, and so from that, I mean, I'm glad because it did get you to where you're at now, whether or not it was the least bumpy path to that. Sure. No. But one thing is true, too, as far as that goes, is you have to find the right mentors that give you the right advice. And every mentor, and I say this because, I, you know, I work with a lot of my authors and stuff like that, too. And I always joke that we will be your muse. Call us. We will tell us your story. We will throw ideas at you. You can completely fucking ignore everything <laughs> we say. Come up with something less field and just hang up on me. As long as I get you unstuck, I don't care. Yeah, that's all I give a shit about. Like, yeah. I, you don't have to take what I'm saying. I'm not the expert on your story. I just want to say shit until you can write your book. Like, that's all I want to do. So I could be like, I think you need to add aliens to this paranormal romance story. You know, I never say that. But it's that kind of stuff where... But knowing that and saying that <coughs> to people, I think makes a huge difference because if you don't know that and somebody seems like this, oh, you know, expert, mm -hmm. then they come in and they say, and you're like, oh, am I completely wrong? No, you're not completely wrong. The other thing is break the fucking genre barriers, yep. break the things that exist because it's not like, I can tell you right now, comic book readers are not like this book has... <coughs> 60 pages I can't read it it's too long like they don't they don't say that if you did 400 pages maybe they'd be like that's a little big but they wouldn't necessarily not read it it just would be a lot you know what I mean sure so I think a lot of the stuff that's like it has to be this way no one fucking doesn't have to be this way we just have industries that are like we're going to control every little part of it so yeah. 
it has to be this way. Fuck that shit. But um, still, that bumpy road, like when someone asks you, well, why did you go with a, a 60 page over a 24 page? You can say, I tried. You, there's no like, what if I had tried or anything like that? You put in the time and the work and you, you, you push the boundaries and I, and you come out stronger, I think, at any time that you kind of test all the stages all the time and then move forward with the, the best choice at the end of the day. Um, so, question. Hold on, hold on. You got to hold your question. We have to take a break. We'll be right back with you. Basically, Valerie, shut the hell up. We'll be right back. <laughs> Attention, people of Earth. Looking for a way to kill half an hour every week? Try the Flopcast. It's a silly podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, obscure pop culture from the 70s and 80s, and chickens. Join us. Bring coffee. We're on the ESO network. And we're at Flopcast.net. Our sponsor today on Drinking With Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. Well, we're back and Val's come throwing her little fit from having to actually take a break. It's so rude of me, Erica. By the way, if anyone wants me to sponsor snacks so I can eat back on the podcast, let me know. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Anyhow, so lycanthropes. I know why I write about werewolves, but why did you choose a werewolf? So I've always loved werewolves ever since I was a little kid. So when I was little, the elementary school that I went to had a little library in it. And they would shove the kids in there every so often, you know, go, go you know go find a book and, you know, leave me alone for however long. So I went in and there was an old universal monster movie book, like a, those old picture books where it tells you about, you know, whatever movie it was. And it was about Lon Chaney's The Wolfman from like 1941 or whatever it was. I'd never seen or heard of a werewolf before. And so I saw this book and I was like, what is this? And so I started flipping through it and I was just fascinated with the idea of, of this, you know, guy turn like being cursed and turned into this werewolf. And then that sort of carried over um, for years where my favorite characters have this sort of duality. Like my favorite comic book character is the Incredible Hulk. And that's all about duality where it's literally two separate personalities shoved into one body. And the one character can completely lose control and turn into this big hulking monstrosity who has no control. It's a totally different personality with different, you know, traits and all this stuff. Or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like all yeah. these different stories about sort of that that duality of losing control and becoming this other thing. Um, so that's what originally drew me to werewolves, I would say. And what I what, what I still enjoy about werewolves, um, sometimes, especially with media, you'll get werewolf stories where the the person who turns into a werewolf has like complete control and typically some unless it's done correctly a lot of times it'll just feel sort of weird like like for instance with the current marvel stuff you have smart hulk where bruce banner's in complete control and i find his character to be way more boring now 
than when he was like Savage Hulk, where he could just snap. And then like he was a literally like a walking bomb that could go off at any moment. And he had to be constant. He was constantly depressed and like like very adult themes and things like that. Like it could go left real hard. Exactly. And I've always liked those kinds of stories. And uh, I don't know, just the idea of like lycanthropy is just cool. Like with D&D, you have they like expanded it where you can have all kinds of different like lycanthropy. So where bears where bats where boars where tigers you know werewolves like your romance community is you says you're welcome yep <laughs> where goats you name it where squirrels yep <laughs> yep where squirrel val is that your next thing we're gonna date where squirrels <laughs> no i go i go sort of the classics and old school slavic romanian influence a lot of times so like I I mesh all the superstitions and mythology and dark mm-hmm. history together quite a bit. Um, so like I I tied in the old Apollo stuff, okay. uh, the whole Boreas thing, and even as far forward as uh, the serial killer Roma Santa. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but he was like the first serial killer to stand trial, and they're like guilty or not guilty, and he goes guilty, and they're like well. <laughs> why <laughs> he goes well i had to eat sir i'm a werewolf and it's just there's so it's been around historically so long yeah um so uh among is it just one core character in your story or is there like other lycanthropes is it contagious is it just one is it curse based like everyone has a Correct. different angle so i don't I, know if I i'm just, spoiling I, anything by asking that though so i want to ask a quick or make a quick point before you go on your i guess i see you have kindred um so one thing that i think is good and i haven't seen a lot of stories like this and i'd like to see more of them so i'm throwing that out there for anybody listening is werewolves because i don't like the complete forget of what they did Mm -hmm. i like it when their emotions are in overdrive almost like tinkerbell where they cannot necessarily control their anger or their whatever that they're not unaware of what they're doing it's just that analytical part of them is more shut down i love characters like that because i I, the whole forgetting thing is kind of I, i i don't you know I don't like that I don't remember anything I did, right? Because sure. then you're telling two separate stories or having somebody else piece together the story. It's kind of, and this relates to when I get intoxicated. Like, I don't want a bunch <laughs> of people telling me what I fucking did when I'm intoxicated. I'm, I choose a werewolf in a heartbeat. If I could be any creature, I already know. Because Val, you've seen me. If I get mad, fucking the claws are coming out and I'm like growing like five times. I would be Hulk if I was a superhero. That's what would happen. As much as I'd like to have mind powers, I would be a fucking Hulk. That's the way it would go. But um, much like when people, when you're drunk, then try to tell you what you did the next day. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I personally am like, I fucking hate that. There are very few people I trust to tell me what I did the next day. And they're mainly my friends that don't drink. So like my very trustworthy friends that don't drink, you can tell me what I did and your perception of it. But people who are fucking drinking with me going, oh, you did this thing. I'm like, screw you. Like, so. Uh, so dude, now that I've gone down that tangent, and then well, you can go back to the epic lacking ropes. Well, now I need to comment on what you said because when I was in my uh i didn't actually start drinking till right after i got out of college i didn't drink while i was in college i drank after i got out of college and um i had a a nickname among my drinking group called the scribe because no matter how much i drank i didn't black out and i would remember everything that happened the night before even though nobody else could so i would just give a detailed recollection of okay you did this you did this you did this you did this although one time i did black out while playing dnd I drank a growler and a half of hard cider. It was like 10 and a half percent hard cider or something like, or something like that. And apparently the whole session went exactly how I wrote it. So drunk Dennis is still fine, I guess. DMing, I don't know. That's fantastic. But I'm sure you've had people who try to tell you what you did when you were drunk. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's not what happened. Like, I don't want that. If I'm going to fucking Hulk out, I want to, I want to remember it. But maybe not be able to control when I get mad. I get mad to the five thousandth percent. Sure. So I'm going to do the mad thing. That's fair. Anyway. 
So um, interpretation. Well, I'll I'll touch on both your your werewolf points then. Well, we'll start with Valerie. So, uh, Valerie, um, your question was, how does the how does it work basically, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I got off which on the path, drinking tangent. Which I forgot. path of werewolfness did you take, sir? A different one. Like so, none of the above. Uh, no. So it's almost like a Faustian deal with the way that it works in my book. So he cannot transmit it to anybody else. Uh, so it's not communicable in that sense. Um, and so I guess it's in a way a little bit of a curse, but again, can't give it to anybody else. He's stuck with it. Uh, but, and though they do not exist yet in the universe, I do plan to have all of the different types of werewolves that I've seen in the same universe. So you have, uh, I look at it like a spectrum. So all that you have your more wolf, more human. So all the way on the left hand, you get your true blood werewolves, which are basically just wolves, like just normal size, just normal ass wolves. And then all the way on the other side, you have like the TV show Supernatural werewolves, which were basically just some claws and sharp teeth. And that's about it. Like for the most part, it's just a person with sharp claws and teeth. Um, and then when you get in the middle, the dead center, that's where you get your perfect 50-50 werewolf human blend uh, which is, you know, what I consider my character to be like a perfect 50-50 of the, the two. And so I do plan to have all the different werewolves that I've ever seen in the same universe. Like, oh, I, I, I would like to have lots of different creatures and things like that. Uh, you know, with the second book that I just did, uh, you were talking about liking to blend different folklores and mythologies. The second book, I went with ancient Arabic. So you get ghouls. The Nas Nas, uh, yeah. there's a story called Zarka, um, which is all about like a, somebody who could see into the future in Arabic folklore. So the second book gets into that. Uh, the third book is Sumerian, so Gilgamesh. You have that. Uh, and then I'm also integrating H.P. Lovecraft into that story. Um, so you get some H.P. Lovecraftian stuff going on. Fourth book is Ancient Egypt. Fifth book is Ancient Greece, which I call the Greek Avengers. Uh, so... Yeah, so it, it's sort of like a blend of all things, but the second, so the, the plan for the series is three arcs of books, five chapters each. The second arc is where I really go into, there are other werewolves out there in the world. There are these other monsters. That's where vampires will also pop up and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if I'll ever put zombies in just because it doesn't really, I feel like a zombie would be totally boring and gets to werewolf, like a werewolf would just... It depends on the zombie. As a zombie aficionado, okay. Um, you know, I was I've talked about this many, many times, many drug times. You know. Okay. Um, but I think depending on how you do the zombie, if you're just talking about an undead thing that comes from the ground, it's different versus somebody who loses their mental capacity and are only doing like the prime, you know, like the need sure. to feed. Like that's one of my yeah. favorite things in Resident Evil sure. is the line where she says they just have their primal ability, their need to feed, right? Yeah. You do it 28 days later style where they've gotten a virus like rabies. Sure. That makes them in, you know, unable to do that. And imagine if you couldn't feel pain, like a lot of people think, oh, we'd be breakable, blah, blah, blah. But if you couldn't feel pain and you would just keep going, sure. regardless of what was happening to you, yeah. like that would be very interesting because unlike most of the things a, bear, a werewolf would encounter, mm -hmm. just helping a little bit here, you don't have to use mm -hmm. this. This is one of those muse points. Many um, muse points, but I just think that concept is not done well enough all the time because sure. if you think about that, that is what we would have if we had zombies ever. If we ever have that kind of situation, it'll be something like that that occurs. And a werewolf, you know, you attack almost anything. It has a pain point or it knows that it's in danger or it can assess sure. that thing. Well, if you had something that would had no assessment whatsoever and was going to keep going until you literally destroyed it, yeah, that's a fucking epic enemy. Well, that's fair. That's fair. The um, you you would like this uh, this one YouTuber that I came across by the way called Roanoke Gaming. He's a microbiologist that breaks down scientifically how horror movies or alien movies or disease movies would work, and he talks about why zombies would have like enhanced strength because uh, um, and this Roanoke. Is what is it called? Roanoke yeah. Gaming. She's writing it down. It up because I love that shit. I am a zombie oh, yeah. aficionado. And he talks about how, like, uh, 
in relation to like zombies maybe being stronger than you would think they would be. It's the same thing with how like you have stories where, you know, mothers can lift, you know, cars off of babies. And he talked about how humans are actually a lot stronger, but the reason why you can lift the car up is yes, your maximum strength can allow you to do that. The problem is your brain inhibits your strength because you'll literally rip the muscle right off the bone. So yeah, you'll lift the car off your baby. And then the next day you're all messed up because you've literally ripped all your, you've torn like every muscle that you have, but it's like good for short bursts. So he talks about with zombies, like they wouldn't have that pain sort of thing. So they would just be constantly like in that state of like, could be super strong because their brain can't tell them, nah, you're going to hurt yourself. So they'll just rip through things. Could be that. Well, I've that, seen that. And they, they wouldn't stop. Like they wouldn't yeah. stop running, stop. for instance. They wouldn't have that thing that says, hey, your lungs are hurting. You're tired. Yeah. Like they wouldn't have tired. They wouldn't yeah. have any. So it was, it's amazing if you think about what a human could do if yeah. we didn't have these things that go, mm, maybe you don't want to break your ankle. <laughs> maybe you don't want to do that right now. Now, maybe you want to, maybe you don't want to jump off a bridge. Sure. We'd be like, um, no, we fucking want to, I want to jump off a bridge. There's something to eat down there. Let's do it. Anyway. Like he, he just did a video about killer clowns from outer space and like the biology of the killer clowns and like why they work the way they work and stuff like, like, it's like, I just find it really, really fascinating. Cause it's like this ex-scientist guy who just on a whim was like, eh, I'm going to make YouTube videos about how things would work if like it was real. Like he talked about the movie, the stuff. And like why it's addictive because uh, artificial sweeteners are actually addictive. So if it doesn't have any calories, which the stuff doesn't, so it's probably a similar property to artificial sweeteners. So Hashtag that's why you white claw. Look, yeah. we brought it full circle. We brought it back to the claw. Boom. Boom. But to talk about what you were saying with the the werewolf thing, like not being able to to remember, but like sort of with my story, um, you know, he can't really remember what he did but he wakes up with the carnage the next day so then he has like ptsd as far as all that goes and sometimes he'll have nightmares about what happened and he won't know if it's real or just a nightmare but in the second book um especially towards the end the two personalities start to bleed over on one another so he starts getting like really agitated over nothing and like more feral and just quick tempered and like super vicious and like kills people without even really trying because he's a he's very very strong even when he's like a normal person he's still much stronger than the average human uh so if he's not careful he'll hurt somebody and so yeah so he just somebody comes up on him says something the wrong way and he just snaps and kills them and then he you know he has the realization like oh my god like what's happening to me what am i doing um, so it's, it's a little bit of a blend of that. Yes, he can't really remember, but that starts to change as the story goes on and the, the two entities are sort of like together for a while. To, yes, acclimate. Yes. No, I like uh, that because I, 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 I always I, think like uh, the non-memory thing is it dies out eventually. You're like, okay, yeah. cool. So plus I think, you know, as a psychology major, you can of course chime in on this. Um, I would think that would fuck with somebody more than knowing that they were like this other thing because the not knowing what you were doing all the time I think would you know what I mean like knowing you were doing bad shit but not knowing it like I think inherently most of us want to be in control you know I would I would agree I would agree with that my um, tropical cider says <laughs> it'll it, I say you know it would all depend I mean if you can't remember what you did and you woke up covered in blood and carnage and there's a ripped apart body with like a face sitting next to you, you feel bloated, yeah. and you feel bloated and you're yeah. like, so there's a, a part in the second book where he literally says, I'm afraid to throw up because I don't know what I'm like. I want to throw up, but I also am afraid to throw up because I don't know what I'm going to throw up and it'll make it worse. So one of those things, um, whereas if, if he was conscious for it and like could actively sort of see things and remember things it would probably still be traumatizing but i don't i don't know i guess it could go either way in terms of what would be more traumatizing um, well it just depends on whether or not he goes down the homicidal path or the suicidal path do i need to take myself out because i'm a danger to everyone or do i just come to adjust to who i am and what i am and sure deal with it that i i could go down this for hours i've thought about this a lot yeah. <laughs> she thought hours 
I love what? it. Yep. Okay. So let's, let's, um, you have 15 books in this series. Yep. Right. Mapped out 60 mm-hmm. pages, 56, 15, 60 pages. The first two are 60. The, the third book's written and it's 90 pages. So. How dare you violate the rules? I have a feeling that the rest of the books will probably be closer to 90 than they will be to 60. I don't think you're <laughs> so going on from that. I don't I think that's epic. Keep going, get make bigger comics. Yeah. Um when it comes to laying this out, because you're evolving as an author, right? You're continuing mm-hmm. to evolve. It's kind of the point you said, and what you said earlier is very true for anybody. And it was interesting. I was having an editing conversation with somebody earlier today because they were like, I've heard you talk about how you don't get stuck in editing. And I'm like, that's because I don't fucking edit. I, I write the book. And then if I have a problem, I leave a comment for myself going, you're going to have to come back and fix this or yeah. find out what this police procedure is or something. But I don't yeah. like edit as I'm writing because you can do yourself in because believe it or not, you could write three chapters. Chapter four, you're a better writer than you were in chapter one. And yep. if you keep going over, you're never going to win that. Plus your story can start getting um, mutated because a lot of us can think of really great spinoff ideas for stories, especially yeah. for creatives mm-hmm. that can derail this entire, like I'm going to write about, he's going to be in Egypt, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, but what if? <laughs> what? And, that was the issue that I had while I was originally coming up with, okay, where do I want the series to go? Because I love mythology and I wanted to be able to show off different mythologies and have this character be at different points in time. And it's like, okay, well, some really interesting, and, and this takes place in our world. So it's like an alternate telling where it's like, okay, this happened historically, but this was what was actually going on in the background kind of thing. So it's like, okay, well, there's lots of really interesting historical stuff but a lot of it is also close together. So you can't, you can't be everywhere at once. So you have to sort of pick and choose. All right. Where would, you know, where would he be? Where would I think be the most interesting story to have him? You know, what story do I want to tell and where does it best fit in terms of that? Now I love ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. So I definitely had to have those stories in there. Um, somebody asked me if I was going to have um, Japan and while Japan has amazing Oh, yeah. creepy ass mythology i was like into <sighs> mythology is so awesome that's a whole like i thought i've thought a couple like a couple times i've looked at shinto mythology and i'm like do i want it to be its own because it is on an island yeah. so like i could easily just make it this is like you know the madagascar of the mythology yeah. world kind of vibe but yeah no shinto mythology uh and even Shinshi and all that and the Taoist mythology yeah. so much so I'm I'm having him go to chi- like Chinese mythology instead of Japanese mythology because I wanted to do the Monkey King I wanted to do the Green yeah. Dragon God and like all the stu- other stuff so I wanted to to sort of go that route instead of going uh, the Japanese route which I love Japanese mythology but it was just one of those things where it's like ah, I think it would be a more compelling st- it would be cooler to be set there but I think it would be a more compelling story with how I want the overall plot because. There are, like I said, with D&D, I have the bones figured out in terms of where I want the character to like progress. And then it's a matter of, okay, what setting do I feel would best accomplish that goal and be interesting to, to be surrounded in? And I think the Chinese mythology fits for where I want the story to go at that point. Because um, the second arc, you have uh, Chinese mythology, uh, the Arthurian legend, uh, it end, uh, Genghis Khan, um, the last chapter in the book is on the Silk Road, the, I see. The bubonic plague. Yeah. Uh, so different things like that. So there's another chapter, but I don't want to get into what it is because it's no, no, you don't have to give it away. My do, question yeah, for you yeah. is this you have 15 books. Please tell me you're not going to take 15 years to accomplish this goal. It'll take 15 years to accomplish the goal. If not more. Actually, it'll take more. Because so with a comic book, I am beholden to it, it's like a conveyor belt. So I can't skip steps. The artist, so like I can have it written. It's done, like the third book is done written, but it hasn't started going through the art process yet. So you have to have the artist do a page. And then when he's done with the page, then it can go to the colorist. Then when the colorist is done, then it can go to the letter. You can't like skip to the letter. You can't skip to the colorist. It has to go A, B, and then C. 
So you can only work as fast as the team is working. And they also have like four or five other projects going at the same time. So it's one of those things where it's just going to, it just takes as long as it's going to take it. So far it's taken a book a year about. So it takes about a year to get through, not a, not a full year. So like they'll start in January and it'll be done by end of September, typically. Um, So about nine months, but I'm going to imagine with 90 pages, it'll probably bleed into a little bit more than a year, that sort of thing. So what else are you going to write? Because that's a a long time for your readers to have to wait for stuff. I know. Well, unfortunately, I am completely self-funded. And so people have asked me like, hey, are there other books you want to write? I said, yes, there are. But I'm not going (laughs) to I'm not going to make them unless this book becomes self-sufficient in terms of like paying for itself, um, because. It'd just Are the be other books graphic novels or regular novels? Graphic novels. Graphic novels. Um, there's one that's like a sci-fi, futuristic, uh, kind of Gundam-esque uh, story that I wanted to do about a little girl. Uh, then there was um, more D&D-related one where I wanted to do one about a vengeance paladin. who's He starts off the Shining Pinnacle and then uh, goes through like a little warp hole and then pops out like a couple years later in the same spot and he's a completely different person and the rest of the characters don't know what to do with them, that kind of thing. So uh, sort of a vengeance paladin kind of thing. Um, it'd be kind of funny to do a comic about the podcast just because we do get into such goofy shenanigans, but eh, we'll see if that ever happens. Very interesting. Okay. So it's shameless self-promotion time because we are at the end of the podcast. What, how do people find your, your first book and you and all the fun stuff? Shameless self-promotion, do it. So you can find me everywhere on the internet at world's most okayest DM. Uh, you can also find my D&D podcast at botched a D&D podcast on all your podcatchers. For me personally, the book, I have a website. It's hivehead studios, like beehive.com. Uh, you can get the book digitally there. You can get the book physically there. You can actually uh, download the first 18 pages for free as a sample if you want to check it out and see if it's for you. Um, that's HiveheadStudios.com. I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash HiveheadStudios, where you get early access to art that's coming up in like the future books or the current books that aren't out yet. Uh, and we also do a podcast where Myself and my friend Charles, the rock out of podcasting, that's the name that he gave himself, McFall, um, we sit down and sort of go through just behind the scenes comic book stuff. Like he'll ask me questions from a point of curiosity, and then I will give him sort of like what's going on, like trying to sell books at conventions, trying to sell books to comic book shops, trying to do a Kickstarter, like the whole process of putting together the art team, the whole process of, um, you know, the bumps in the road, like the successes, the failures, all this stuff. So we, we sort of talk about anything and everything. Um, or like this week's episode, we randomly went on a Nick Cage binge for like the first 15 minutes for some reason. <laughs> I have no idea what it's like getting off topic on a podcast. No, no, no <laughs> idea. Never happens to me ever. We're always on point. We never deviate from what we're talking. About. Especially when I'm on. <laughs> Yeah, I don't get me started. I saw how excited you got about the whole research thing, Val. So you can just um, <laughs> dial it back. <laughs> dial it back. Dennis, it has been amazing having you on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, guys. Our sponsor today has been Skunk Brothers Spirits, coupon code DWA10. Please check them out. They are amazing. My amaze. Oh, don't forget to like. You're still listening or you're like watching us. So like and subscribe if you haven't done that yet. And now that you've been drinking with us, leave us a review. We like drunk reviews. They make me very happy. So please leave drunk reviews or drink recipes as reviews. Either way, not it's to, totally fine. Not to derail you, but what do you think the name of the uh, the podcast on my Patreon is called? Like oh, and dear, subscribe. Why are you doing that to me? Like and describe. Like and subscribe. L Y C A N subscribe. It's like and subscribe. That's kind of amazing, actually. It's it's funny. I never asked that before, but I read this whole article about how you have to tell people to like and subscribe. They don't inherently go, "Oh, I like this. I'm gonna." Yeah. It's 
that I'm sure you could describe why that is, but they um they don't do it. So you have to say like and subscribe. So if you're listening, you haven't hit like and subscribe, fucking like and subscribe if you're watching us. It's important to us. Yeah. And of course, um, I said reviews. So my amazing co-host who kind of held her shit together for the most part has been Valerie. Mm. I'm very impressed with you. It's Didn't mean anything. I'm drinking. <laughs> you do or don't like what you're drinking. I do. I re- look. It's half a bottle. Oh, we're <laughs> going to be so screwed in the next episode. Literally, it's going to be a complete shit show. So, anybody listening to this one, you want to listen to the next one? Val doesn't drink a lot, so she's opening the bottle. We're going for round two. Oh my god! This We've literally had episodes where one of the members was so drunk that he was trying to put his elbow on the table and just kept missing over and over or others where the guy just takes his shirt off and lays under the table because he's too drunk and the the floor the floor is cool on his tummy so yeah no it's fine <laughs> I, I appreciate it dennis you've been amazing and guys we will see you next time this has been a broadcast of the eso network be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our eso patreon or by shopping for the t public store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.